in our gospel reading today, in Luke chapter 21, we hear the good news of the end times. We hear the good news of the apocalypse. The good news of the end times. I don't know if you guys think much about the end times. Or if when you think about the end times, when you think about the apocalypse, if you uh, associate that with good news, with gospel. But tonight we hear the good news of the end times. Christ the King, the good news of the apocalypse, of the end times, is this. When we are confronted, when you are confronted with the signs of the world's brokenness, when you come face to face with that, do not be afraid. Do not lose heart. Jesus is bringing to an end the old order of death to make way for the new order of God's life and peace. Do not be afraid. Do not lose heart. Do not give up. We can live today. The good news is this, Christ the King. We can live today in hope of the world to come. We can live today in the hope of the new order of God's life and peace that is arriving among us even tonight. There's a story that uh, helps, I think, uh, draw our vision toward what, what I'm describing here, what Jesus is describing here. And it's actually a story about Christmas. And I feel a little weird about this because I, I try to, like, hold back the forces of all the holiday stuff, like Christmas stuff, until after Thanksgiving. And so I'm, viola- in a way, violating my own rules here. And I recognize that I may be uh, violating um, other people's Christmas rules. Or maybe not. Maybe all of you are like, yeah, we already put up our stuff. It's no big deal. Um, this is a story I've also told, told before in here too, um, but I think it's an important one. It's the story of Christmas Eve, 1914. Um, on the front lines of the war in Europe. On Christmas Eve of 1914, there was a temporary truce a temporary ceasefire. Forces from, from both sides, from, from British and German sides, under this temporary truce, on Christmas Eve, came out of their bunkers, came out of the trenches that they were in, and, and met together. They ventured into what's called no man's land. You guys Remember this in World War I, the sides were in trenches, and in the middle was no man's land where, where, where no one ventured. They just shot at each other from the trenches. On Christmas Eve in 1914, under this temporary truth, truce, both sides ventured into no man's land to exchange food to exchange souvenirs, to barter for cigarettes. It's even said that there was a game of soccer played between both sides. They sang Christmas carols together. 
And then soon after, they went right back to killing each other. What we see here is a vision for, in the midst of all-out war, something from the past was allowed... Something from the past allowed for the hope of a better future to break forth in the present. Something from the past allowed for a better future to break forth in the present. One wonders why that couldn't just be the case. One wonders why what kind of what kind of forces were at work in the world that that, that kind of peace and, and life and hope and, and fraternity that broke forth in that truce couldn't just, why couldn't they just do that? We recognize that, that there were forces in the world, there always have been forces in the world, there were forces in the world in 1914 that were shaping people, um, even people who could, who could share life together like that to, to be enemies, to kill one another. But in that moment, there is this vision for peace, for life, for hope, breaking forth in the present. Christ the King, we live in a world where we love stories about the good guys coming in and kicking tail and taking names and making everything better. But Christ the King, that is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like what we see unfolding on Christmas Eve in 1914 in this, in this eruption of hope and peace in the midst of the present. Christ the King, where are you about to lose heart tonight? Is there a place in your life where you were just tired and you were about to lose heart? Christ the King, is there a place in your life where you feel like you're about to take up arms and go back to the trenches? The good news that we can receive is that in Christ we are called out of the trenches, Christ the King. Jesus calls us out of the trenches to offer our lives as a sign of the order of God's, the new order of God's life and peace. That's the good news of the apocalypse tonight, Christ the King, is that Jesus calls us out of the trenches to step forth into no man's land and to offer our lives as a sign of God's life and peace. Because Jesus is bringing an end to the old order of death and is bringing a new order of God's life and peace. And that's happening even tonight, Christ the King and we can live in light of that. In Luke chapter 21, we've been following Luke on his the end, or we've been following Jesus in the gospel of Luke on his journey um, now into Jerusalem on the road to the cross. Jesus in Luke chapter 21 proclaims the end of life as we know it. You guys remember that song from the 90s? I actually can't say this out loud without thinking about that song. It's the end of the world as we know it, and I feel fine. <clears throat> Jesus proclaims the end of life as his contemporaries knew it, and they didn't feel fine about it. Kind of freaked him out a little bit. 
I know some of you are like, what's that talking about? (laughs) Jesus was proclaiming the end times. He was saying that the apocalypse is coming, and indeed, it is already here, Jesus was saying. As we listen to Jesus, as we see what's, what um, the gospel writer Luke is drawing our attention to, we recognize that the end times, I don't know what, what uh, that um, provokes for you, end times. I don't know if it provokes like uh, Tim LaHaye and, and all that kind of stuff or, or people making crazy predictions about when the end of the world is going to come. I don't, I don't know what it brings up for you. But the end times that we're looking at here, it's not just about the end of something. And it's not just about a rapture or something like that. The end times that Jesus is proclaiming is about a new beginning. It's about the arrival of God's new beginning. It's about the, not just the arrival of it, it's about the intrusion of that new beginning of God's new order of life and peace. What Jesus is proclaiming in the end times is that Isaiah 65 is, is going to unfurl into the world in him. And you can look there in, in our Old Testament reading, Isaiah 65, where the prophet says of God, I am about to create a new heavens and a new earth. The formal things shall be remembered, shall not be remembered or come to mind. And then the prophet uh, goes through a list of of what that world will be like, this new world of new creation of God's life and peace where the wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw with the ox, the serpent, it shall be destroyed or it shall eat dust. There shall not, they shall not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Jesus is saying that this new, he's proclaiming that this new world will break forth into the world of death. And so Jesus is talking about this because uh, some people who were following him, they're, you know, they're coming in Jerusalem, and one of the, the key features uh, of Jerusalem during that time was the temple. And so someone is, is talking about the temple, and they're talking about how beautiful this, this structure is. Actually, um, the temple uh, during this time would have been really Im- impressive. Um, the, the king, Herod the Great, had for decades been um, uh, undergoing this really extensive renovation project. Um, really lavish, really expensive renovation project. I'll get back to Herod in a minute. But someone is saying, oh, look at this. this look how uh, great this is. And Jesus is like, you see all this? This is all going to be torn down. And when Jesus says, all of this, all this temple will be thrown down, what he's doing is in, in the imaginations of his followers, he's invoking the end times. People like today, like, like people who, who are Christians today, uh, people who were Jews in Jesus' day, had ideas about what the end times were going to be like. Different opinions about exactly how that would come. And so when Jesus is talking about this cataclysmic uh, time, he's invoking in their imaginations that kind of thought about this time when God would arrive again and set things right. About a time when the old order of sin and death would give way to the new order of God's life and peace. But in order to understand what Jesus is talking about here, it's important to understand exactly what the temple's destruction meant. 
for people in Jesus' day. Because for the temple to be destroyed wasn't just a sad thing. It wouldn't just be a big disaster. It was a really big deal, but it wasn't just a really big deal because it was a big fancy building that everybody liked. The temple was a concrete, tangible symbol of Israel's identity. It was, it was the very meeting place of heaven and earth. Where, where, Israel's, where, where God's presence was, where, where Israel's whole life was, it was drawn into it, both, I mean, all of, all of religious and economic, like it was all drawn together, it all held together in this physical space of the temple. There, there could be an imperfect analogy to something like, maybe like the, the White House for, for people who live in the United States. Or some other uh, like really well-known monument in Washington, D.C. It's that kind of thing. It's not just a building. For many Jews in the first century, their hope for God's restoration included restoration of the temple. Included restoration and renovation of that physical space. And so for Jesus to announce the destruction of, the disillusion of that was a really big deal because the destruction of the temple, this is what's key, the destruction of the temple meant that there would have to be a completely new way of life. Not just uh, some tweaks to the existing status quo, not just trying a little bit harder to do a little bit better, but a completely new way of life, a new order of things. Do you guys get what I'm saying when I'm talking about an order of things, like a new order? Like all of life, like the way that you spend your life, the way that you relate to people, the way that the economic system works, the way that the social system works, the way that all of life holds together on a day-to-day basis. That's the order of things. There would have to be a new order of things, a new way of relating to God. Like, think about this. If the temple wasn't there anymore, there would have to be a new way of relating to God, a new way of relating to self, and a new way of relating to others. A new political identity, a new understanding of place. It would have to mean a new, a a renewed ethical life. You see what I'm getting at? Like, the destruction of the temple meant something new would have to take its place. And the interesting thing in in the mind of Jesus' followers in the first century is that they understood this and they referred to the temple not just as God's temple, but actually as Herod's temple. That's what they call it. They called it Herod's temple. Because most ordinary Jews in Jesus' day weren't very excited or had mixed opinions about what was going on there. About Herod himself, he wasn't exactly King David. People, uh, he was known for... Uh, uh, some, um, you know, idolatrous, sinful things. And also, uh, his work in restoring the temple was, was kind of this place where, where um, uh, oppressive and, and sinful structures got mixed up with religion. Right? Um, the, the temple had to be built on the backs of somebody. And so the destruction of the temple was a clear disruption of the status quo. Even Jesus um, reiterated that 
this sight of God's presence had been corrupted with forces that worked against God's saving purposes. I mean, you know what, you, I think you remember what Jesus says when he comes into Jerusalem um, and he talks about the temple. Uh, he, I mean, he, he cleanses the temple, he turns over tables, he curses a fig tree and makes this uh, um, parable about um, the, this temple system being like a tree that bears no fruit. The destruction of the temple was bad news to those who had their lives invested in the way that things were. Who had their lives invested in the status quo. It was, it was bad news to those um, who had privilege in Jesus' day. And so this is something that we um, need to pay attention to, that we need to listen carefully to, because this news of the end times, this news of the apocalypse, of Jesus bringing to an end the existing order to bring forth a new order, is disturbing news. Lots of modern Western Christians don't talk much, I mean, outside of the, the whole thing about the you know, rapture and the Tim LaHaye, all that kind of stuff. Like outside of that, like most modern Western Christians don't talk much about the apocalypse. We don't talk much about the end times because we tend to be the kinds of people who benefit from the current way that things are. I don't say this to, to guilt anybody. I mean, I, I'm a part of this. I say this just to name reality. Jesus' words about the cataclysmic arrival of God's new creation. Like it, I mean, listen, I mean, if you, if you pay attention to Jesus' words here, they're kind of disturbing. They're unsettling. Jesus' words are difficult to understand for those of us for whom going to church makes us socially acceptable. Right? And Jesus is proclaiming this as good news to, for whom... For people for whom identification with him will make them not socially acceptable. And so we can ask ourselves some, some reflection questions here. Again, not, not to, like, to guilt ourselves to feel bad about something, but actually just to reckon with reality so that we can hear Jesus. And, and we can ask ourselves the question, if the present order of things, like our lives, the way that things are set up now, the, our, our, our jobs and, and the economic system and the, where we have things invested and all the way that's all set up, all of life, if the present of order of things changed... Would that feel threatening to you? Where you shopped and how you spent your money and, and how it all worked out, how people felt about you when you walked around in public, you know, all that kind of stuff. If, if that changed, if something flipped on its head, would that feel threatening to you? An important question that a text like this invites people like me with a good amount of existing social privilege, what it beckons me to ask is how much of my life do I actually have invested in the maintaining of the way that the world is and not in the world that Jesus is bringing right now? Jesus is training his disciples to live in the hope of the end times. Jesus is training his disciples. He's training anyone who would come after him, like us, to live in the hope of the apocalypse. And hope for the end is not just a feeling, it's not just a thought, but it's, it's, it's a posture. It's a way of life. It's a way of doing things. Hope for the end is about actively embodying now 
the world to come. Hope for the end is about in our lives, in our real lives, actively embodying now the world to come. And this looks like having a different vision of everything that we see unfolding in our lives right now, especially those things that remind us that are signs of sin and death and brokenness. Having a different vision for what's going on and then living a contrast life. A different vision and a contrast life. That's what Jesus is inviting his disciples into. Jesus says to them, and he says to us, you will encounter some crazy stuff. You will experience, you will hear about, you will see signs that we live in a world of brokenness, of sin and death. Christ the King, even this week, even this week, there's news about another school shooting. You will encounter signs of brokenness. Jesus says all of this is coming to an end, but you can expect hardship because of your allegiance to me. Because your life will stand, if you give allegiance to me, if you become my disciple, if you lay all things down to follow me, your life will stand in contrast to this old order. Living the contrast life will not be easy. Simply by investing yourself and trying to actively embody the hope of Isaiah 65. That kind of peacefulness. That kind of, of, of life. It will not be easy because it will be in contrast to the existing world of sin and death. Some people will faint with fear, Jesus says. Some people won't be able to handle it. It will freak some people out. People will get anxious. But not so with you, Jesus says. Stand up. Pay attention. Raise your heads. This is all a sign that your redemption is near. Do not be afraid. Do not lose heart. With me, you cannot lose what matters most. In fact, you will gain what matters most. That's what he says. You will gain your souls. Do not be anxious. As you walk with me... You will gain what matters most, and you will become witnesses, Jesus says. He says in verse 19 that, that all of this will be an opportunity for you to testify, for you to become a martyr. Martyr is a word that associates with people who've given their life for Jesus, but also at its base is about being a witness, about reflecting the world to come. And so we see that Jesus' very life, very body, is a sign of things to come. The hope of new life is in Jesus himself. And when we are included in Christ's body, when we are included in Christ's body, we become the signs of things to come. We become witnesses of Isaiah 65. The way that I heard someone put it once, and this isn't a perfect analogy, but it, it, it work, helps really well, it helps for me, is that, is that our life together is a movie preview of where God is taking the world. Our life together of following Jesus is a movie preview of where God is taking the world in Christ. What matters most, what matters most is not that, you know, that we do something impressive here, that, that we're able to attract a bunch of people, that even that we're able to, uh, like, I don't know, do, like, um, 
like a bunch of Bible drills and, and do impressive Christian things. What matters most is that our lives become a living witness of Isaiah 65. And, and what matters most is, is that amidst a world that's falling apart, that it's increasingly entrenched in, in these trenches, that we become the kinds of people that when they, when they have to face the fact that they're living in sin and death, that we are out there like going out into no man's land and becoming a sign of the world to come. That people can look at us and they can see the possibility that there is, is hope and life and peace in God. So what does it mean to live now as if God's future is already arriving through our body? The way that I like to think about this is that um, looking, looking daily for the apocalypse. Looking for a daily apocalypse. Apocalypse is, is a word that means to unveil, to reveal, to pull back the curtain on, on what's really going on. It's, it's revealed, it's unveiled. So looking for a daily apocalypse means going throughout our day, facing the things that we face, with the expectation that God's Spirit is at work pulling back the curtain on the things of our lives to show us what's really going on, to show us both two things. One, the, de- the actual depth of our brokenness. But also, the possibility of God's life and peace. So even today, like, I, there was a moment of a little apocalypse. I, I know I often share things about being a parent to Ruthie and Lydia, but this just, like, is in my consciousness and it, like, is most of my life. But there's this moment when, when Ruthie just lost her biscuit, like she often does. And when she loses her biscuit, it makes me want to lose mine. And as Carolisa can tell you, I do! But, but I'm, I'm learning to see that that moment was a little apocalypse. Where, where both the, the depth of brokenness is revealed, but also the possibility of God's life and peace. And, and when those, when I notice, when we notice those little apocalypses, it becomes an opportunity to embody in that moment the world to come. I just mean two quick things about that. Embodying now the world to come. It means that for those who pledge their allegiance to the crucified Lamb, the one, Christ, who is bringing to an end the old order, it means that ungodly means are never necessary to secure holy ends. Ungodly means are never necessary to secure holy ends, whether that's on a really big scale or whether it's like in that moment with Ruthie and me in her room when she's freaking out. Ungodly means are never necessary to secure holy ends. We simply don't have to respond to brokenness with brokenness. When Ruthie's like freaking out in her room, what I want to do is respond with brokenness. She turns up the volume, I'm like, wait until you see me turn up the volume. You want to throw your weight around? I'll throw my weight around. We don't have to respond to brokenness with, with brokenness. And when facing brokenness, whether it's the stuff in our own life or around us, we do not need to ever respond with fear, out of lack, out of guilt, or shame. Because if we belong to Jesus, 
if we have our lives invested in his life, we can never lose what matters most. Christ the King, where do you feel like that you're about to lose heart? Is there a place where Jesus is calling you out of the trenches today to be a witness of the new order of God's life and peace? During our prayer time, um, if you